Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Well, good morning, Harvest Ridge. OH. Ooh, this is my tribe. You are my people. I was raised down the road in Dayton and uh, thought we, you know, we thought for 40 years we'd get back to Ohio and we made it as far as Georgia. So um, how about those Browns? Yeah, Jesus said that these things would happen in the last days, right? Big day today. You know, my thought, I was sitting over there and I thought, uh, yesterday, I was, I was traveling from Grand Junction, Colorado uh, to Cleveland via Salt Lake City and Detroit, and I didn't think this through that, uh, you know, so I'm wearing my Ohio State uh, jacket. I wasn't feeling the love in Detroit, you know, but I thought maybe the only thing more awkward than that would be to wear something Steelers on game day in Cleveland. Yeah, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, uh, no, as, as Pastor Matt mentioned, yeah, my wife and I, you know, somebody asked me, said, man, you know, how do you do that uh, 40 years? Well, about 37 into it, you start traveling more. So, no, but 40 years, and, and my wife, Jamie, she deserves sainthood. For living with me for 40 years, but so much more important. The only thing you need to know about us is that we have four grandchildren. And they are the absolute joy of our life. They are a reward for not killing our kids when they were teenagers. Hallelujah. And so we live 10 minutes from the three boys, our, our granddaughter, she lives six hours away in Raleigh, uh, but we get to see her and, and, you know, just the apple of our eye and all that. Uh, but the boys, 10 minutes away, because we do not trust our kids to raise our grandkids. So, <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but there's, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. So, uh, yeah, I pastored for 30 years. I'm still a pastor at heart, but got delivered from pastoring, and now for the last three years, uh, get to travel the country and tr- do about six international trips a year. Over the last 40 years, I've had the privilege of traveling to 46 different countries uh, and now continue to expand that. But uh, one of the, the ministry that I represent in my travels is Fire Bible. And for those of you, just take a few moments here. For those of you who may not know what Fire Bible is, well, originally the Fire Bible was known as the Full Life Study Bible. And it's been around for, for quite a long time. It's a, it's a Pentecostal study Bible. And like publishers, God gave them the vision to begin translating that Bible into the top 100 languages of the world. And so fast forward to now, currently Fire Bible has been translated into 57 different languages with over 11 million copies distributed worldwide. Isn't that good news? 
Yeah, and so it took a little over 20 years to complete the first 50. We're believing, God, that we're going to be able to do the next 50 in this decade, this next decade. And the reason we're going to be able to do that is because great churches like Harvest Ridge, Pastor Kevin, are coming alongside of us and allowing us to come in and squeeze everything out of you we can get for the glory of God to get the word word to go around worldwide. Amen? Don't get nervous. We're not taking an offering this morning. Some of you are like, so, uh, but that really is strategically, it's an alliance. And so I want to thank Pastor Kevin and thank you that uh, we are part of your Kingdom Builders going into 2021 and a strategic partner. And we appreciate that. Uh, The next, by the end of 2021, uh, we're hoping to have an additional seven translations completed. The Gujarati, which is India, Hungarian, Karen tribal, which is Myanmar. Uh, Sinhala, which is Sri Lanka, Poland, Lingala, which is the Congo, and the North Korean uh, translation. Those seven languages represent over 190 people worldwide. And so again, thank you for your partnership, and we are excited to come alongside. Now, uh, under normal, the normal circumstances, how many of you know you've not been living in a cave somewhere? You understand we're not living in normal circumstances. It's not business as usual, and it hasn't been for six months plus. But if these were normal circumstances, I would be here this morning in the Fire Bible role, and we'd be talking more about Fire Bible and or general missions, and that was what was intentionally planned. But in light of things, Pastor Kevin invited me to still come, and he said, preach what God has put on your heart. Now, you know, I got to do that for 30 years. Now, for the last three years, I don't get that opportunity very often. And so I was very excited and appreciative for that. And truly, not to overstate this or to understate this, I truly believe that the Lord has given me a word in season, and I believe this is for everyone but it is for someone. And I say that many times when I speak, but I truly believe that this is for everyone, whether you're here in the auditorium this morning or your live stream, or you'll see this posted on the website in the, in the weeks to come. And by the way, if I can just give a shout out to my 88 year old mom who lives with uh, my sister in Colorado, and she is watching live stream this morning. So love you, mom. Yep. Yep, I, <laughs> she is what we would call my biggest fan. And uh, I, in fact, I, that's why I'm coming from Grand Junction, because I was just there and got to see her. And so uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 6, uh, I want us to look at a, at a story that um, this passage or this story we're going to look at, I believe, parallels the times that we're living in right now. And we're living right in the middle of a time that is unprecedented, never could have imagined, you know, in our country and worldwide experiencing, you know, the, 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 the COVID and the coronavirus and all that is happening with that. And then living in this country with such undertones of unrest and division and not knowing, you know, what our country's going to look like here in, a, you know, in, another, in another month or six weeks and beyond. And that's just our reality. And so I, I would suggest to you, if anyone is going to have answers for the chaos that's happening in our world and in our country, it should be the body of Christ. 
And sometimes that begins with a perspective. And so, you know, I used, I used to take pride in titling a message. And I had come up with a couple, couple ideas. But, you know, sometimes if you get too cute, you have to spend more time explaining the title than you do the message. And so I went really brilliant with this message. And today's message is simply called The Storm. Okay? The Storm. You ought to be able to remember that. I, it helps me to remember that. And, I, again, I believe this storm and the principles we're going to look at today parallel where we live. All right, right, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translations, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat, in their boat, in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended, and I emphasize this statement, he intended to go past them. We'll unpack that in a few moments. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. May the Lord add his rich blessing and anointing upon the reading of the word and now the proclamation of the word. May we all have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. And may we truly have a takeaway from this place this morning. And to that end, we'll give the Lord all the glory, honor, and praise. And everyone said, Amen. amen. If you've ever heard this term, it's called the synoptic gospels. And what that means is, is if you were to take the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and overlay them and, you know, look at them kind of simultaneously, you would see uh, some interesting things happen. First of all, uh, some may, may mention a story that the others do not, or they may have a different perspective. Because there were two of the four were eyewitnesses, which was Matthew and John. Luke was a Gentile, and he was not an eyewitness. And Mark was Roman, and he wrote from a Roman perspective. And so it's very intriguing when you look at them together, because, and we're going to use this story here this morning as a perfect example. Let me explain. Luke, Luke's gospel makes no mention of this story. Now, the most popular part of this story that you've probably heard preached was when Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk toward Jesus on the water. And then all the parallels to that and, you know, what that represents in our life. And that's a very popular version. Well, Luke doesn't, Luke makes no mention of the story, let alone Peter. Matthew, on the other hand, He's the only one of the four 
that mentions Peter stepping out of the boat, which is very, very interesting. John, on the other hand, who is also present, and he was the closest to Jesus and an eyewitness, not only does he not mention Peter stepping out of the boat, he paraphrases this story of them being in that storm and what happens. But Mark, on the other hand, who is not an eyewitness, uh, experts tell us that, that the vast majority, 90, 95% of his gospel was secondhand via Peter. That Peter's recall and recollection of everything that Mark writes about was directly from him. Now, isn't it interesting that Peter influences Mark's writing, but Mark makes no mention of Peter stepping outside the boat? Now, maybe it's just the way I'm wired. Maybe it's just the way I think, but that's fascinating to me. Now, there's no definitive, you know, explanation for all that, but it is interesting. So I want us to look this morning from Mark's perspective of this story because Mark captures something that the other three do not that I've never heard preached on before. And I, so if I've never heard it preached on, I've never preached on it. And it's, to me, it's the most intriguing part of the story. So uh, for the next few moments, I want to look at three simple takeaways from this text from Mark's gospel. Number one. Jesus sends them into the store. Now, I'd want to confess right now, I'm going to press the envelope a bit. I don't have time to unpack all the theological implications of this. That's what Pastor Kevin is here for. If you have like, what was he, what was Campbell talking about? He'll fill in the blanks for you, okay? But I want to, I want to, I want to challenge a little bit conventional thinking because it's hard for us to get our mind around this. But let's, let's look at verse 45 again. Let's see what it says. It says, immediately after this, immediately after what? Immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I've watched some of Pastor Kevin's message online, and I know that he's been preaching on that particular event. Well, this happens immediately after that. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. This word insisted, another translation says, made them get into the boat. Now, I'm absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of any doubt that Jesus, even though he had laid aside his divinity and he was fully in his humanity, I am confident that Jesus know, knew that he was sending them out into a storm. Now, we can disagree on that point. We can, we, we can you know, have, have a debate on that point. But in my mind, I've, I've, I'm settled with the fact, it says clearly, he sent them out in the storm. So the only question is, did he know that there was going to be a storm a-coming? And I believe so. So if that's the case, <laughs> that puts a perspective there. In 2000. Um, up to that time, we had been pastoring a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we'd been at that church 16 years, five years as the youth and associate pastor. At the ripe old age of 29, uh, the pastor retired, and that, that church invited us to be, and we used to call them 
senior pastors. Well, there was nothing senior about me at, at 29. I wasn't even the senior guy on the staff because I inherited the staff. I was the youngest guy on the staff, and I was the senior pastor. I've since felt like I should send letters of apology for some of the early decisions I made at that church. But we were there 16 years, 11 as the lead pastor, and then we had an epiphany, a very clear knowing, and I don't suggest this for anybody unless you just know that you know that you know that it's God. And we heard a word from the Lord, and we knew we were finished there. God said he had another assignment. We didn't know where that was. So we resigned after 16 years with nowhere to go. And our, all three of our daughters, our oldest daughter was, was uh, uh, just had started her senior year in high school, and this was not a good time to do this. And that venture would lead us to Hickory, North Carolina. We began the, we began the new millennium in, this, this didn't fly at all in the first service. Let's give this another shot. If, if any of you have heard of the comedian John Reap, John Reap, okay, I, I, I see one hand. Okay, so you'll get this. He referred to Hickory as Hickory. Hickory, Hickory, North Carolina. Well, that's where we were now. We went from a metropolitan uh, city of of about 1.5 million to a city now of about 40,000. And now we were the lead pastors of First Assembly of God in Hickory, North Carolina. We knew nothing about the church and nothing about, about anything. We go to the church and the first two Sundays we were there. The first Sunday, it snowed eight inches, and the second Sunday, it snowed several inches with a nice layer of ice on top of it. And so we really didn't know what we were working with here the first couple weeks. And finally, about the third week, we got to see who we were really pastoring. And um, so the building was an octagon building, you know, and and semicircle. And so you're kind of at at an angle, and, and I'm on the front row there at the angle. And uh, the first thing that I noticed is the worship leader uh, came on, came in the side door and onto the stage about five minutes before the service. And so the service started late. My eyes started twitching. Let me just say we didn't start late after that. But (laughs) there was a new sheriff, I mean, a new pastor in town. And so we got that one sorted out. But here was the real, I'm not, listen, I'm not fabricating this. There's no embellishment. You can't make stuff up better than this. The music began, the worship began, and I counted because I had to look where this was coming from. And I looked around that room and I counted six tambourines. All of them being played on different beats at different times in different styles. None of them being played, as the Bible said, skillfully. None of them had obviously not been in the rehearsal. And I I didn't know what to do. And so so then, if that wasn't odd enough, then this older gentleman on the front row, who was a real wonderful man, he and his wife, and, and, and a good man, loved God, but just there were some peculiar things about this place. And all of a sudden, he steps up to the front during the worship, and he just starts motioning like this. I'm like, what's, what's this? And all of a sudden, every kid in that room came running. And they proceeded to get in a big circle. And during, during the music, 
they were having, they were doing ring around the rosy. And I thought, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And then a couple weeks later, worship begins. And all of a sudden through the back door, and I can see it out of the corner of my eye, here came a parade of about six or eight women all dressed in the, this white, flowing, the, there was flowing, but there was also unitard. Now, I'm not body shaming when I say this. This is just a fact that one of the sisters, she was about a size 16, but she had wedged herself into about a size 8. And you just couldn't help. Anyway, you, you get a mind picture there. And I thought to myself, what have I gotten myself into? Now, God, I know you called us here, and I know you've sent us here, but I had no idea, and it's a good thing I didn't know because I'm sure I would have felt led to go somewhere else. And the first three to six months were so tumultuous. I'd been the pastor all of about four to six weeks, and one Tuesday morning, one Monday or Tuesday morning, unannounced, Two of the board members, we hadn't even had our first board member, our first board meeting yet. And two of the board members, one with his wife, came into my office. The door, the door was open. And I was like, how'd you guys get? They apparently they had keys. And they came in unannounced and sat down and said, Pastor, we need to have a meeting. Okay. I could tell by the tone. I was so glad my wife was there, just happened to be in the office. I said, honey, come on in here. I want you to be part of this. What I wanted was a witness, because I knew somehow in my spirit, this wasn't my first rodeo. I knew how these meetings go. They had a list, no exaggeration, of 25 different items that they already wanted to take me at task for. <laughs> well, they hadn't had a share, excuse me, they hadn't had a, pair, a pastor that had my particular leadership uh, style. And so that began a, the, the, what, what we were working with. So after the next, the first board meeting, we, I commuted 70 miles one way for the first seven months because our daughter was finishing high school. And then we, then we moved during the summertime. And I was driving home from that board meeting. It was about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And a lonely stretch of road, and just in my thoughts, and I literally uttered out loud, God, have I offended thee? What have I done that you would send me to such a place? And before there was any, there, you know, heaven was silent. There was no response and a few moments later, as I'm driving down the road, I had ceased to pay attention to the fact that I was going about 15 miles over the speed limit. And a very kind state trooper just pulled me over to remind me that I needed to slow down. And he gave me a permanent reminder. And I thought, so the next day I called my superintendent because he was the one that got me into this. Jesus and my who would be considered my pastor. And so I called him. I said, Brother Kelly, why did you send me here? Why did you allow this to happen? He said, Brian, that church needs your leadership. Well, that was no comfort to me. They may have needed me. They didn't know it. But I didn't feel like I sure needed them. And so for the next couple years, 9-11 would happen. 
and our economy, the economy in that Unifor area is still one of the one of the worst economies in the country. And we were hit, and all the industry was hit hard, and now we had major financial implications. And I'm thinking, God, why did you send me into this storm? Over the next four or five years, we saw the greatest miracles of our ministry begin to take place. And the reason for that, one of the greatest reasons is because, and I'm not talking on this this morning and I don't have time to unpack this, but our entire pastoral ministry, we always led with missions. We felt like God would bless that. And so when we came to that church, they were given 30,000 to missions. When we left eight years later, they were given over $300,000 a year to missions because that's what we led with. And even after 9-11, we not only were tithing off giving missions, but we tithed off of our income to the church and we started tithing off of the building program that was just dead in the water. And for three years, we did that. And at the end of three years, God sent a man in and he gave the church a million dollar check. Whoo! That must, that doesn't translate, I guess, in Ohio. I guess you're used to that kind of stuff. But us humble folks in the South, that was a, that was a really big deal. So what's the point? The point is, God sent me into that storm, not for it to stay a storm. But he sent me into that storm for him to show how he provides even in the midst of that storm. Second takeaway. Jesus climbs into the storm. Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble. They were rowing hard. They were struggling against the wind and the waves. This is where some of you are at in this room this morning. This is where some of you are at live stream. This is where some of you are at that you're hearing this because you're going to tell someone, hey, you need to hear this message. You need to listen to this, this crazy Southern guy that was, listen, I'm from Ohio, but, but, but I, I, I can talk Southern. Hi, y'all. See, so I, I mean, I can go there, but I, you know, this so this, this, this misplaced Ohio Southern boy, you're going you're gonna to share this message with somebody because you're good, they're coming to your mind already. You're thinking they need to hear this message because their life is a mess and they're in the middle of this storm. And, and it says that about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them and they walking on the water. But here's the phrase. He intended to go past them. But he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. Now, again, I don't have time to to develop this beyond this statement. And the statement is this. I believe that the reason Jesus intended to go past them was because he knew they were going to be okay. He didn't have to get into the boat to calm the wind. All Jesus has to do is speak to it. All Jesus has to do is speak to it at his word. Everything in the universe has to respond at the spoken word of Jesus. He didn't have to get into the boat. He didn't have to come over to them. But the reason he did was because of their appeal. They thought he was a ghost. And they were afraid and they were terrified. But they cried out to him. And, and then, you know, it's not in this one, but Peter gets, gets out of the boat. And, the, you know, there's, there's that whole dynamic. But the wind and the waves do not cease until Jesus climbs into the boat. <laughs> just, 
a couple miles from us. I, I, I don't know if I mentioned we have grandkids. When the two oldest ones were about three years old, um, Ella was visiting with us and, 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 and her parents, and uh, Brody was, was there. He, again, he lives 10 minutes. And so we took the two oldest grandkids over to the mall where they have a train. And the train, you know, just circles around the mall for the kids. And so we get them tickets and we put them into the little back cart there. And they looked up at Pop Pop and said, get in. I'm looking at the cart. I saw no way that all this man is going to get up in that cart. I wasn't as concerned about getting in. I was much more concerned about how I was going to get out. And if I must confess this, looking around, I thought, what are people going to think with me in that train? And, and parents, adults were allowed in there. The only ones that were in there were, were mothers carrying, you know, infants. <laughs> so what did I do? I got in. I got in. And, you know, driving around on that track, had it went a little slower, it was, you know, tipped back a little bit. But we made it all the way around. And I'm just, you know, I'm just hunkered in that thing with my two grandkids because I climbed in to their space. That's what God does to us. That's what Jesus is doing here. They didn't need Jesus to get into that storm. They were going to be fine because their destiny was not completed. Even though they didn't know it, they were going to make their way all the way through. But Jesus is willing to suspend that for, this, for our sake. And I've got great news for you. If you don't have the wherewithal to feel like Jesus is going to get you through this or get our country through this or get our world through this, listen, as long as the bride of Christ is on planet Earth, the body of Christ is going to be fine. The church is going to be fine. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And he's with us. Now, if because we just need more, he will be more. I believe God responds to the desperate cry of his people and he will get involved in your storm. He'll get involved in your situation and he'll get involved. I don't know how this, we're in the middle of the storm, friends. We're in the middle of it. Now, maybe you've been in a cave somewhere and you don't have internet and you don't hear the news and you don't know what's going on, but we got some issues. We got some issues. And the church needs to lead the way in having a perspective, in having an understanding that God has not abandoned us and he is going to see this through. And as long as he has an agenda for the gospel going to the four corners of the earth, we're going to be fine for his glory. Last point. Probably the most important point. Jesus makes sense of the storm. Jesus makes sense of the storm. 50, verses 51 and 52. He climbed into the boat. The wind stopped. Now watch this. Let me just pause before I re You can see it right there. So as you're reading that, let me just give a perspective. They, these, these 
folks that were on the boat, they had just come back from being sent out to do ministry. And the day, that very day they had come back from a ministry trip where people were healed, delivered, set free, born again, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, and not immediately through Jesus, but Jesus vicariously through the 12 because he sent them out and they were doing great and mighty exploits and they had just returned from that that day. On top of that, they wanted to send the people away. But Jesus said, no, we're going to feed them. You know the rest of that story. Now that's just what happened in the last 24 hours. Within 24 hours, they're afraid. And they're scared, which is another word for afraid. Or as we say in the South, they were scared. <laughs> That's why they were sent into the storm. Notice what it says. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. And their hearts were too hard to take it in. The word understand here, they, they didn't understand. They saw it, they experienced it, but they didn't understand it. It was almost like it fell on, this, the parable of falling onto hardened soil and it fell off. They didn't, they didn't get it. And so this word understand literally means as collecting the pieces of a puzzle and putting them together. That the puzzle piece of the ministry they just done, had just completed, the puzzle piece of the feeding of the 5,000, and now this puzzle piece of them being sent out into the storm, they could not connect the pieces of the puzzle in their mind. But the Bible says here that it actually means the activity of knowing and having immediate knowledge. Meaning as soon as Jesus climbed into the situation, they immediately had understanding that they were supposed to have. Now, my, my personal opinion is this, <laughs> is I believe the disciples, even with Jesus, wrestled with their flesh. Now, don't give me that Sunday morning look. They were human. They were human, walking three and a half years with Jesus, and John and James are fighting over who's going to sit at the right hand and who's going to sit at the left hand. They were men, and they, 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 they had shortcomings. The point is, we can relate to these guys. They did not understand what was going on, and this was an opportunity for Jesus to push the reset and put the pieces of the puzzle together. Now, here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think that's exactly what's happening in the storm that our world is going through as it relates to the church. That God, if for no other reason, if for no other reason, I believe Jesus can help the church to make sense of these current events. So I want to ask you this question. Could it be, could it be that Jesus has sent us into this storm? If so, rest assured that Jesus will climb into this storm with us. 
And ultimately, Jesus will help the church to make sense of the storm. So when, the, when I was putting this message together over the last couple weeks and I kind of finished it, one day earlier this week, I went to the driving range, something very spiritual. I would recommend it. Listen, the Bible says to go in the highways and fairways and compel it to go in. That's the drastically revised version. But I, it, it's something I enjoy doing just to relax. And so I went out to the driving range. I put in my, you know, my, my, my earbuds and put on some music. And, and you know, I'm get, just kind of loosening up a little bit. And I, I start hitting balls. And my wife, my wife and I, we kind of share a, an Amazon music account. And so she had downloaded some music that I'd never heard before. And so all of a sudden this song... And it's the live version, nine minutes and 30 seconds. Now, I'd suggest to you, if this gets your attention, to watch, watch the live version on YouTube because it's, really, it's just really cool. But the name of the song is Take Me Back. Never heard it before. And as, as this guy begins to sing it, I just, man, I'm like... And by the way, I, I don't think I've ever listened to a song for the first time that it captured me. Music, typically, you have to hear it a couple times, and then it, this is the first time I ever heard this. And within the first minute, there's like, it's got me. And now I'm not even paying attention to what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm listening because I don't know where this song is going. And about a minute into it, and, and I, I, sh- I should have written the, the words in my notes because I have some timers. Sometimes I remember, sometimes I don't. So I, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but it goes into when the storms of life are raging. And man, I, it just arrested me. It just arrested me. And I thought, this is it. I've never done this before, so I didn't have the courage to do it. I almost, as, as a conclusion this morning, was going to show that video. And I was like, boy, that's risky showing something nine and a half minutes and it doesn't fly, <laughs> right? I'm like, no, I'm not willing to, yeah, I, won't, I definitely won't get asked back. So I'm capturing it. But where this song goes, Take Me Back, it's talking about taking me back to my first love. Remembering, remembering when. Remembering when you saved me. Remembering when you healed me. Remembering when, when you did that, that thing, whatever it was, that blessing. When you opened up heaven and poured out blessing upon me. And the essence of this song is saying, would you do it again? Would you do it again? You see, that's the takeaway of this, friends. We need to see the pieces of this puzzle, they fit. Now, we don't know how they fit. We don't know when they fit. We don't know when we're going to be post-COVID. Just as we, we didn't know what life would be when 9-11, for those of you that are old enough uh, to know this and have, you know, wherever you were, and you, if, if, if you can remember where you were when you heard the news, then you know what I'm talking about. But our country was different. The world was different after 9-11. This world's going to be different. The whole world's going to be different. I don't know how it's going to be different, but it's going to be different. There's a new normal. Okay. Respectfully, 
I don't care. That's not what my concern is. My concern is what is God doing with that? And what does God want to do with that? What does he want to do with that in your heart and in your life? What does he need to take you back to? It's the equivalent of pressing the reset button on a computer. That's what's happening. God is pressing reset. And in that reset, and when it comes back on, there is a understanding. It's a Greek word. It, it's synaimi. I don't even know if it's pronounced like that, but that's my best shot. But it's a Greek word, and it, and it means that all of a sudden, all the pieces of the puzzle come back together, and we can see how they fit together. Now, I don't know if we'll see that this side of heaven, but let me promise you this. Let me promise you this in closing. Maybe Jesus has sent you personally into your storm. I can promise you Jesus will climb into your storm, and ultimately Jesus will help you make sense of your storm. Amen. Now, when a storm goes through, I was living in Dayton in 1974 when a tornado came through Xenia, Ohio. We lived about 20 minutes to the west of Xenia. And one of, he, he was my Sunday school teacher after I got saved, but uh, Sunday school teacher, this, this, tornado killed a lot of people. It was a, it was, I, I believe it was a category five storm and it devastated Xenia, Ohio. That tornado came right down their street. It was coming on this side of the street. And when it got to the house next to them, it, it wiped out every house on their side of the street. And where they were locked in, they would, they would, they would see this later, of course, because they're in an inner space in the room and with their, their young children. And here this tornado is coming, right? Wiping out every house in its path. And when it gets to their house, it skips over the street and comes up the other side and then back over and went right on. They, every house virtually on that street was destroyed but their house lost shingles. Now you make sense of that for me. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and unjust and so do the storms of life. I can't explain that to you. I can't explain why your particular experience in this storm is seemingly worse than others. I can't make sense of that for you, only God can. But I can promise you this, I can promise you this, He'll help you to make sense of it if you allow him. He ultimately wants us in these moments to reevaluate and to hit the reset and say, Jesus, what have I lost my first love? Have I lost my passion? Have I lost my joy? Have I lost my purpose? What have I lost in the journey to this point that now in a moment, in a moment, God can restore your joy, your passion, your purpose, your love, your understanding, your meaning, 
and, and, and what he has for you in a moment. God can do that, and God can do that for you this morning in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? I told you earlier, I, I, I think like a pastor. I have a pastor's heart this morning. I'm not the pastor of this church. Pastor Kevin, a wonderful man of God, a wonderful pastor for these almost 30 years. And he'll, and Lord willing, he'll be your pastor till Jesus comes. Praise God. But in this moment, there's a pastor's heart that just is tender. I don't know any of you in this room. Holy Spirit does, and He sent me this morning with this message to encourage you. And if you allow yourself and allow me to just pray this over you, I believe God can begin to do in a moment, and He'll restore the years that the enemy has destroyed. Would you just put your hands out like this? Let's just pray this over you this morning. Father, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you are as near. You are as near as the next breath. And Lord, only you know corporately the circumstances of Harvest Ridge. And only you know the individual situations of every person under the sound of my voice in this moment. So I trust you, Holy Spirit, to move into each and every space of our life. And as we say, I'm ready to hit the reset button, Lord. You in a moment can put it into proper perspective and proper understanding, even in the midst of this storm. Now, Lord, if we feel like you're passing by, that's because you know we're going to be okay. But if we need to call you into the boat to calm it, would you do that right now in Jesus' name? And so, Lord, we call on you. We rebuke the spirit of fear. We rebuke the spirit of intimidation. We rebuke every foul strategy of the enemy that it would be diffused right now in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, to open up the heavens over Harvest Ridge and over this region in the name of Jesus and over every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice that heaven would be open and that the Holy Spirit would come with a fresh sense of joy and peace and goodness and love for their fellow man and for those, Lord, who don't know you. May there be a great harvest that will yet come in these days to your glory. To that end, we'll give you all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name.